Hello and welcome to this Drum Network podcast. I'm Nikki McMorrow, the head of the Drum Network. And today we're going to be talking about luxury marketing. Specifically, how is high-end marketing doing during the cost of living crisis? I'm joined by four brilliant luxury experts from the Drum Network um, who are going to introduce themselves in a moment. And we are going to be discussing how the luxury space has seen some surprising but maybe lucrative moves over the last couple of years, from collaborations with creators to integrations in gaming, um, all sorts of things. And all the while walking a bit of a tricky tightrope during times of permacrisis and economic hardship. What place does luxury have for consumers and are they affected in the same way as mass marketing consumers? So I'm going to get my guests to introduce themselves now. Sarah, do you want to begin? Yeah, great. Hi, Nikki, and hi, everyone. Um, uh, I'm Sarah. I'm the uh, commercial lead at Verb Brands, um, and Verb is a digital marketing agency. Um, we specialize in luxury and premium uh, brand marketing, um, and we work with clients across their social, search, media, and creative. Um, and some brands that you may have heard of that we work with, um, Aston Martin, Omega, the Mayborn Hotel Group, um, and many more. Um, we've been doing this game for a long time, so we've been lucky enough to work with some awesome brands um, and a big part of what we do is helping brands reach and engage uh, high net worth consumers so it's a big focus for us to um, be looking at that audience the whole time um, and actually I'm really excited to be speaking more to that today uh, as we go on. Fantastic and Sarah and I have met before through the luxury yeah. marketing world so it's nice to see you again Sarah. Um, Paul would you like to introduce yourself? Thank you. Yeah, I'm Paul Stanway. I'm Executive Creative Director of XYZ. We are a, a brand experience agency and we've just recently become part of uh, 160 over 90, a cultural marketing agency that's owned by Endeavour, the global sports and entertainment company. Uh, we produce a whole range of brand experiences for an equally wide range of clients. In terms of the luxury sector, they include Aston Martin, Moncler, Gucci, um, as well as uh, a range of other slightly more house household names and uh, uh, we do a, a lot of different work for a lot of different audiences in, in different territories and um, yeah uh, like Sarah uh, very happy to be a part of this and talk more about the subject because it is fascinating particularly at this time of uh, uh, in the world and the economic situation. It is fascinating and slightly idiosyncratic hopefully we can explain some of that for the audience and um, Joe, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, so I'm Joe. Um, I'm head of marketing at the Goat Agency. Um, Goat's a global social media and influencer marketing agency. Um, we've been around since 2015, but in 2023, earlier this year, we were acquired by WPP. So we're now part of Group M Nexus. Um, and we work with a real variety and a mix of brands and clients across lots of different verticals. And we we have worked and do still work with a couple of luxury and premium brands as well. And we work with them on their social media strategy and their influence marketing strategy. So I think quite an interesting um, time for luxury brands as well right now in terms of how they're starting to engage their next generation of buyers and consumers through these types of channels. Excellent. Well, that makes a really good segue because um, I think one of the first things we need to kind of try to explain for our audience is who is the luxury customer, perhaps like now, how it was maybe 10 years ago, how it is now and where we think it's going. Um, so, Joe, do you want to elaborate a bit more on the 
the new modern luxury consumer? Yeah, sure. So I guess a luxury consumer to me is someone, you know, who values what a luxury brand brings to them. So obviously it's things like quality, it's the the price, the legacy, but also what that kind of exclusivity, the prestige that comes with that luxury brand brings to someone. And I think that can be anyone of any age. Um, but obviously, from our perspective, especially working in social and influencer, it's really interesting to see how much of that is being also driven by the next generation of Gen Z. Um, so I think that it's estimated by 2030 that Gen Z and Gen Alpha will actually make up 30% of the global luxury market. Um, so yeah, brands are having to really contend with engaging these audiences, but while not alienating their current customer base, which does tend to be maybe older, um, people who've, you know, got more built up wealth. Um, so I think that's a super interesting topic from a marketing perspective. Indeed, indeed it is. I think Sarah's got something on the tip of her tongue and I'm thinking Verb has quite a mix of maybe from the traditional to the modern brands. So, uh, what do you see in that? We run an annual uh, survey, um, which we, we call the State of Lux. Um, it's where we survey over a thousand um, high net worth consumers and um, and particularly in the UK and the US. And this year we had a bit of a deep dive into the theme of wealth. Um, and it's really interesting exactly what you're saying, Joe, in terms of those shifts towards a younger consumer. I think, you know, when we were asking um, high net worths about how they have acquired their wealth um, and also the kind of, uh, you know, roles that they have and and their um, approaches to wealth as well, it's really interesting to see that actually the trends of how um, wealth used to be and how um, affluent consumers used to kind of be acquiring their wealth, there was lots of thought around that there was a lot of inheritance and it's kind of a nepotistic world. And actually more than ever, what we're, what we're finding is that to your point, they're, they're younger and they're almost a lot more self-made as well. So I think where there are traditionally um, that those kind of thoughts around the luxury consumer being a particular type of um, very privileged person, let's say, um, that is actually, that trend is being bucked um, in terms of where wealth is being acquired and built up uh, in today's world. Very succinctly put. Thank you, Sarah. (laughs) And Paul? Yeah, I mean, to to build on what Joe and Sarah are saying there, uh, definitely, I think the the younger consumer is ignored at the peril of the, of the brands. Uh, I, I've seen some some equally positive uh, and slightly more punchy uh, projections for uh, the percentage of the lux market globally uh, being made up by younger consumers. Um, so definitely, uh, we need to pay attention to that, and brands need to pay attention to that. And I think things like what they call the instalment economy has really democratized luxury uh, for uh, a lot more people that previously couldn't play in that space, uh, you know, where you can spread those payments that were previously completely out of your league across months and years. And, and there's a whole you know, moral uh, uh, you know, and financial discussion around that. But it has certainly opened up that market to younger people. And uh, certainly anecdotally, when, when XYZ uh, produced the, the Montclair Art Genius uh, project during London Fashion Week in February, we had 11,000 people on one night come to the show, as it were, um, 
And I can tell you that the vast majority of those attendees were not typical or heritage luxury consumers. Um, it was incredibly compelling because of the way that it was designed and programmed to younger consumers that were maybe having their first taste of London Fashion Week, their first taste of uh, a luxury brand like Moncler. And similar to, to Sarah and, and the verb team, XYZ did research this year uh, where we spoke to 2,000 UK uh, consumers about luxury and experiences um, to, to really try and get a better understanding of, of, of what that landscape looks like and how brands might be able to play more uh, intelligently in that space and understand what the levers are. So there were some really interesting uh, results that I'll mention as, as we go on. But um, to Joe's point, um, there's absolutely a, a dimension of quality uh, in the definition of luxury, um, certainly for older consumers that we spoke to. Uh, but reputation of the brand was a lot more powerful as a leader for some of the younger consumers. So optics are coming into play uh, as well as, you know, the, the slightly more functional elements to the brand and products. Super interesting. Um, so uh, we've talked a little bit about um, not alienating the traditional sort of older audiences while trying to draw in the younger audiences. Is that even possible? I mean, they're so different. Uh, what are the differences? I think it's worth thinking around, as Joe was saying, in terms of, um, you know, what does the luxury brand mean and the value that they're bringing to the, to the customer? I think um, when we're looking at um, how we market, we, we sometimes more simply look at kind of four categories of, of that luxury consumer from a wealth lens, um, because I think this helps us kind of define the, the mindset of that customer and also their attitudes towards their lifestyle and also attitudes towards their wealth. Um, and the four kind of ways that we define that really is, is with ultra high net worth, so 30 million plus in assets, high net worth, 3 million to 29 million um, affluent or AKA the Henry's is like, you know, lots of people like to call them. Um, high end is not yet rich for those who don't know that term. Um, and then the aspirational. And I think if, if we're looking at those different categories of, of wealth, I think that helps define a little bit more their mindset in terms of how willing they are to spend uh, and, and the, the way that they're approaching their luxury purchases. Um, so I, Potentially, that's not answering your question, Nikki. But I think it is. It is thinking around how can you um, think more about their mindset as opposed to just a generational age difference. Um, because I think it's so easy to kind of say, well, the younger consumer is different. They 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 think differently. And whilst that is true, I also think it's very much around a mindset around what can I afford or how do I think about you know leveraging luxury brands to. Um, to, to kind of achieve what they want to achieve through buying such a product, whether that's, you know, wanting the quality and the longevity in that product or whether they want the brand status. So I, I think it's, it's quite a nuanced uh, mm. challenge, I guess. It is indeed. And in fact, you mentioned that sort of higher echelon um, mm -hmm. who typically kind of maybe own their own assets. So is a cost of living crisis even happening for them? But, you know, how does it affect them? I think for for ultra high net worths, it, it's not it's not really affecting them much, and that's the really unfair nature of this the economic system that we're in. It's 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 truly unfair. So I think you know these people have a lot of wealth, um, and actually that essentially means they are able to invest it more. They're able to capitalize more on on the wealth that they have. I saw an Instagram video the other day which hit the nail on the head in the sense that wealthy people tend to leverage themselves in debt because they have a true understanding in terms of where they can get financial gains back and, and kind of 
almost skew, skew the systems to, to, to their benefit because they have the wealth to do that. So, I mean, that's probably a side point, but I think ultimately ultra high net worths are not affected um, greatly at all. But I think high net worths, um, they, they have been affected. And that was one of the things that we touched on in our, our study at Verb, which is the state of Lux, which has recently come out. So do go and download it. Plug, plug, plug. Um, <laughs> but but we, we did find that there were real differences. And actually, um, we saw that 20% hasn't affected them and their purchase behavior. But actually, 46% that it said that it had affected them somewhat. And 34% said it had affected how they're spending in quite a big way. So, um, you know, we dig into that a little bit more in the report. But it is affecting different levels of wealth in different ways. Um, so it's definitely, definitely impacting. So you've really got to know your level. Joe, go for it. Yeah, I was going to say, I'd, I'd add to that as well, that like you say, you know, realistically, if you're a extremely wealthy person, like you're probably not that impacted by what's happening in terms of the economy and not enough for you to not buy luxury products that you're used to buying. Whereas it's, it's that kind of second layer that is more affected. But I also think at the same time, there's been a lot of interesting things that have come out of that in the sense that I think after the pandemic, there was this feeling of, you know, you only live once and we've been denied all this kind of pleasure and fun for the last two years. And so a lot of people actually started buying more luxury items because that was a, a kind of relief for them and, and something to enjoy. And then also, if we're talking about like Gen Z, you know, a lot of them maybe they're they're sort of seeing it as, well, I can't buy a house, but maybe I can invest in some luxury, a luxury handbag. And that will, you know, give me some short-term enjoyment because I can't access these longer term, bigger, massive purchases that the older generations um, have enjoyed. And then, you know, things like secondhand fashion and, and luxury rentals, that that industry has exploded as well. Um, and then just coming back to sort of your point around the difference between the the consumers of like, you know, the the sort of boomers versus Gen Z, the new luxury consumer. I guess the biggest thing really is that they are just the first truly social media first generation. So for them, when they're thinking about what brands they want to buy from and engage with, it's all about which brands have built a, a great kind of presence and prestige around them, which is probably mainly going to be through social media and through creators. So for the luxury brands, they're having to kind of think about ways that they can still maintain their exclusivity, but adapt to the way that these younger consumers expect a brand to be, which is we we no longer think of brands just advertising to us. It's like a two-way street. And we we like that kind of conversation and collaboration between customer and brand. And they want brands to stand for something and for brands to speak about certain issues and, and brands to have a personality on social. So I think that's what luxury brands are really having to do. And a lot of them are not doing it so well at the moment. Some are doing it really well. But um, yeah, that's, I think, the, what needs to happen in the mm. future. Paul. Yeah, I think um, to build on, on Joe's point, actually, in the uh, in our luxury refocused uh, report uh, that I mentioned earlier about uh, looking at how experiences and the luxury consumer, the new luxury consumer in particular, uh, intersect. We've certainly found um, 
through the results of that, that younger luxury consumers are actively almost auditioning brands through experiential. They're investing their time before they invest their money. They're trying those brands on for size. They're to Joe's point, looking at uh, how those brands mirror and reflect things that are valuable and uh, important to them in terms of tone of voice, uh, ethical practices, so on and so forth. And then if those brands are suitable in the, in the mind of those younger consumers, that's the point where they invest in the products themselves. And again, our, our research seems to suggest that those consumers will find the money once they've gone through that, they will make the room in their, you know, wallets, purses, bank accounts for for that investor uh, investment in those products uh, because they can do so confidently, knowing that it's a it's a mirror for for how they want to be seen and what they think is important. And and again, the the resale uh, and uh, the vintage uh, angle is is absolutely crucial in the research that we found. And you see people like Selfridges with these Selfridges and uh, Mr. Porter uh, with their reselling uh, platform as well. It's it's a really key component in the consideration and the journey of younger consumers. We yeah, found. it is indeed. In fact, this is getting really interesting now because um, we've covered a few themes um, and trends already. So. Um, that the wealthy are getting wealthier, perhaps, um, but not the semi-wealthy. Um, I think you're, you're sort of coming to the point as well where maybe the younger audiences are more interested in the experience over the materials um, and the values of the brand um, having to align so carefully um, and spending more, uh, sort of valuing their time as much as they value their money. To, to that point, yeah, time is the resource that these younger consumers have. Uh, whereas the money is constrained. And I, I definitely um, see that that is a, a way in which they they can then almost realise their, their value to the brand. I think gone are the days where younger consumers scrimp and save and feel grateful for the chance to wear a Gucci belt or a Montclair beanie. They now understand as a younger target consumer the value that they bring to the brand by wearing that and almost becoming an ambassador for them with their own communities and with their own own groups so i think there is a there's a, a slight balance, shift in the balance of power um, mm. that is interesting yeah exactly i mean i was at a porsche um launch event quite recently and um it was predominantly for women um so like the younger kind of women audience yay um and quite conspicuously there was no car at the event because it was about the experience and the collaboration and all of the sort of aesthetics that came around it. And there was a car shaped gap, you know, where, where there would normally be a car. Um, Sarah, I think you've got some examples. Well, I'll just add to that. I mean, no, but, but I think to your point, like if there wasn't a car at the, at the Porsche thing, like I don't think you would have seen that 10 years ago, but to add to that, um, Jacquemus just launched in, um, in Salt and Seoul and they had the most gorgeous shop and it was like a pop-up shop, but it didn't have any products in from what I could see from the, the press releases. Um, and it was a flower shop and they were just selling beautiful, although giving away, I'm not entirely sure I was not there. Um, you know, there's definitely a thing around um, experiences and, um, and and kind of merging those, those that kind of online world and offline world and what that brand stands for. So yeah, I think it's a really exciting shift that we've seen. Well, I think it's because, you know, great marketing and, and brands really, what you remember is how a brand made you feel. And I think that's what 
buying luxury is about. Like you don't buy a luxury lipstick from Chanel because necessarily it's better than the Maybelline luxury lips, you know, Maybelline Maybelline drugstore lipstick, but you buy it because there's something about using a Chanel lipstick that makes you feel good. And I think that's what they're now integrating into their marketing of that you don't have to have the products front and center and actually, especially Gen Z and, and when you go on social, they hate that. They really don't like if a brand or an influencer is kind of shoving the, the products in their face constantly. So they love when a brand is able to create like a feeling and a sensation around that brand without having to rely on the products. Um, something we often say at GOAT is like, what would you do as a campaign on social media if you weren't allowed to show or talk about your products? So if you if you're trying to advertise something on TikTok and you weren't allowed to show the, the product itself, what would you do? And that will make you think more creatively and think a bit more like what a creator would actually do on social. I love this example. Um, and actually, as we're talking about experiences, then does this explain why or how some of these gaming and Web3 collaborations have worked? Has anybody got any examples of... Um, client work they've done or just campaigns that they've admired that are sort of entering this digital space? Not something that that we have produced, but some of the uh, the responses we had in our in our report uh, where we, we, we dove into uh, more qualitative interviews with a number of younger consumers and um, they were they were expressing a desire for brands to make the sandpit a little bit bigger luxury brands to to play in and they were citing very positively you know things like the, the Burberry Roblox uh, collaboration where not only could you buy those those products in the game but you could then buy pixelated versions of the Burberry check scarf in real life which is amazing so um, those those kinds of collaborations and, and progressive uh, activities and campaigns are absolutely getting traction particularly with that younger consumer i think what where you've got to be really careful and mindful as, a, as any brand is are you doing it uh, intentionally and authentically and credibly i think if you're doing it to, to chase clicks and and it to be kind of a, a stunt the people you're talking to like you said earlier they're growing up with social first they're um i'm trying not to swear here but they're they're meters for inauthentic uh, experiences um, are so much more tuned than, than anyone else's. So they will smell a celeb wash or a tech wash quicker and and call you out on it. Um, so I think where brands need to be really careful is that credibility, authenticity, and doing it with the right kind of intention uh, rather than superficially. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think especially with um, interacting with gamers. So we actually did a report earlier this year that was around how brands can connect with the game of us. And because especially amongst Gen Z, I think gaming is now the number one pastime um, above even TV, social media, music, um, it's gaming. And so there's this huge audience of gamers that you want to connect with. And brands like Louis Vuitton have been doing, you know, creating outfits that people can purchase for their in-game characters. Um, and, you know, whatever, creating concerts that are sponsored by the brands in within a game, which is amazing. I'd say one thing that with the game of us, we really, and the gaming community is that they are, they really can tell if a brand doesn't understand the gaming community and that they've just sort of latched onto a game and, and chucked something in there. It just stands out like a sore thumb. So if you are going to engage with these 
niche communities. And actually at Go, our, our tagline for our company, our mission is niche content to niche audiences at scale. So it's all about getting niche and getting into these niche communities with really relevant content that you've absolutely got to make sure that you understand that community. Otherwise, it's going to go really wrong <laughs> for you if they can call you out. <laughs> yeah, so, there's been yeah. plenty of um, examples. Sarah, um, I wanted to ask you, do you have any named, do you have any campaign collaborations that have been done with Verb or where you've collaborated with other agencies with luxury brands? Yeah, I mean, we work very closely with lots of different agencies sometimes to, to bring things to fruition. Um, but, but I think actually... I think beyond beyond those sorts of collaborations that we're doing at Verb, I think actually collaborations more generally across the luxury sector has been such a big thing in the last two years. Um, you know, that, and actually I think there's been a real theme, and this goes back to how brand how luxury brands are trying to play into, I guess, the strengths of of the younger consumer in the sense that. I think the trend has been lots of luxury brands are tapping into sports sports brands or um, those sorts of partnerships. And I guess our role at Verb with the luxury brands that we look after is is amplifying those moments and preparing um, how we can how we can best get those sorts of collaborations out to the particular audiences that we're wanting to reach and resonate with. Um, but I think that's been a, a huge trend. You know, we've only recently just seen Loewe and um, On Trainers with their recent collaboration. We've had Gucci and Adidas. Like there has been a real theme um, surrounding sports, sports brands and um, and luxury brands, particularly luxury fashion. Um, but 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 and beyond, you know. So um, I think it's a really interesting new way to almost look at partnerships in the sense of how can we marry brand, those two brands to achieve something. I also think they can be do, done inauthentically as well. And add to Paul's point, um, you know, or, or Andrew's point, you know, this the, the younger consumers or even the luxury consumer more generally need authenticity to understand why that's that's being done. Otherwise, it's just going to go to hot. Um, Paul, I think you have uh, something to add to this one. Yeah, thanks. Um, I think that idea of uh, you know insightful and uh, you know true collaboration was was something that that we saw with uh, Montclair and the Art of Genius, where they had partnered with some incredibly high profile creators: Pharrell Williams, Alicia Keys, Mercedes Benz, Adidas, to to name but a, a few in in that that piece. And those uh, those collaborations, you could look at quite cynically um and in fact our report says that actually celebrity collaborations is is sort of in the middle of the the kind of levers uh that drive people towards those experiences it's not the main driver um but i think when you do them well and you do them in the spirit of true collaboration like Sarah was saying, where you, the brand is open to uh, be impacted by and experiment with those, those collaborators and that, that sense of, of transparency and honesty comes through, it really works. And, and with Moncler as an example of, of, of XYZ as a, as a, as a client, you know, their revenues rose 27% in 2022 
cited by Vogue Business as being, you know, driven in, in part at least by the Moncler Genius program and that their sales grew again in Q2 this year. So when you commit and you commit to doing it well and doing it at scale, it can really turn the dial up for a brand. But there are so many incremental decisions and insights and, and, and credibility and authenticity uh, factors at play there that, that to get it right isn't easy. But when you do, the results can speak for themselves. Mm. Yeah. Um, so how do we get it right? Um, you know, I mean, you've all now mentioned, you know, this sort of how not to be, I suppose, how not to kind of um, falsely integrate a segment of the audience and then sort of come out like a cringe worthy old parent. <laughs> um, but how, how do we do that? I mean, Joe, you're particularly you because you're at the forefront of the sort of social space, which is terrifying in in its kind of exposure to the audience um so how how can you um make sure that you're fail safe with this uh i mean i don't think that there's a way you can make yourself fail safe to anything on social and i think actually one of the things we always say is that you just have to as a brand embrace the chaos in a way like you have to if you're going to be on tiktok as a luxury brand we see this all the time of these luxury brands entering TikTok and posting snippets of their adverts. And you just think, why? What, like, who is watching that on TikTok? No one cares. And it doesn't work. And whereas the brands that are getting it right, luxury brands are the ones that are doing something unexpected. They're crafting a, a clear tone of voice for themselves. And they're working with creators to get their message across to a wider audience. So you know, for example, Louis Vuitton have done an amazing job, I think, of really sort of repositioning themselves as a luxury brand with Gen Z. Um, and whether that's through collaborating with music artists. So if you look at their TikTok, it's full of a lot of kind of music is really central to their presence on there. Um, they've, you know, got Pharrell Williams as well as their creative director for menswear. So they're really tapping into a, a community of music lovers. Um, and then, you know, you, yeah, you sort of just have to find like what your niche is as a, as a brand, what do your audience care about? What do you stand for as a brand? And then what is the, the nexus between those two things that you can create great content around? And if you're going to be on a social media platform, you have to think like a creator as a brand, you can't just you can't approach TikTok in the same way you would a TV ad or a, a billboard. It's so, you know, community centric. It's so, um, it's so fast paced. It's so reactive that you, I think luxury brands have really got to find a way of creating guidelines around what they can and can't talk about on these platforms and what, what they want their voice to be, but then letting go a little bit so that they can be playful and they can do fun things. I mean, some of the brands that are really doing well are people like Porsche on TikTok, who they did a create a partnership with a creator who created um, a TikTok series of turning negative Porsche comments into raps. And then he did a bunch of raps all around, like centered around these comments that Porsche had had. Or Burberry a couple of years ago collaborated with Sylvanian Drama, which is a TikTok channel that uses Sylvanian families to create soap opera dramas. And Burberry collaborated with them so that they created a video all around using little Burberry mini bags 
Um, and people were commenting on it being like, is this really a Burberry ad? Like, I can't, I can't believe that Burberry have done this. And it, it had like 6 million views or something and a crazy engagement rate. So it's, it's those brands that the luxury brands that have been able to go, yes, we are luxury and we have a certain brand guidelines that comes with that, but we can be playful and we can have a sense of humor and we can do things slightly differently and experiment. And I think you've just got to be open to that as a brand. So easier said than done, totally I think. I agree with you, Joe. And I feel like what we're seeing at, at Verb from the, the social team is that lots of luxury brands um, that we work with and also we're speaking to at early stages, they are very cautious, particularly on Instagram. Um, but actually when they when they when when it comes to TikTok, they're like, that's our space to be playful. And, you know, we, we are much more open to kind of experimenting. And I think there's a different mindset when it comes to TikTok in many ways for the, for the bold brands that are kind of there. Um, so there's definitely a kind of a, a correlation there. And to add to your point, I think it's the brands that are surprising, um, kind of going back to the theme of this podcast, but it's the brands that are surprising um, their audiences in terms of the type of content that they're sharing that are doing so well. Um, I think the AI content that's recently come out um, from the likes of like Dr. Barbara Stern with their giant products going through New York City or, um, you know, I think Jacquemus again, they're leading the way on social, aren't they? But, um, you know, they've done some amazing things um, with AI, with the bouncing lemons. And so there's all these sorts of surprising creative ways in which brands are, um, you know, sharing content on social, which I think is driving that brand love, um, as you say, Joe. I think confidence is a, is such an underlying key part of, of what a luxury brand is. It's the confidence to know what you stand for, but the confidence then, like you said, to relax and to be playful in the right spaces, to allow those collaborations to actually affect your brand and how it's perceived. I think where a, a lot of those instances go wrong is where the brand holds on too high and it's just badged by the, the collaborator. There's not a material change to the brand, to the experience, to the product. And yeah, I mean, we were discussing this and just doing some work with, with Selfridges Creative Studio over the summer. And that was a theme that came out is luxury brands are confident in who they are. And the contradiction is, of course, that then lets them be more flexible about what they do. Yeah. And I think also we we obviously have spoken a lot about Gen Z, but there is still a you know massive audience of, of older audiences and boomers. And um, we've seen as well that they are becoming more and more active on these social platforms as well. So there's been a, a boom in kind of, um, you know, creators that call themselves like anti-A. Well, they got very, I don't particularly like this name, but they got nicknamed Grandfluencers, which I personally find a bit strange. But it was it was kind of these, you know, older influencers who are trying to, um, yeah, create content that is resonating for their age group as well because obviously they don't want to just watch gen z on tiktok they're going to have different things they're interested in so you know there's a huge audience out there for brands to tap into through creators and social and these other avenues outside of just the traditional forms of media that i think were relied on for so long it, they they need to sort of open some brands a lot of brands are doing it really well but a lot of brands could still be more open to these newer forms of um of channels and and yeah just relax their brand guidelines i guess <laughs> i think it's acknowledging isn't it that um that everyone's experience of a brand is different your moncler is not my moncler your gucci is not my gucci and 
uh, understanding that it's almost like those gestalt sort of you know images where it's the black and white dots and your brain creates the dalmatian that's in the picture that's what a lot of brands are there's an element of projection and and, and interpretation and i think if brands can become comfortable with that then that allows their like you say that older generation more you know uh, established uh, consumer if they're spoken to and, and spoken with, I should say, and, and communicated with in a way that works for them, they can still play to that younger audience and, and not alienate either. If a brand is able to understand and acknowledge that they are actually, even a singular brand is multiple brands, depending on who the audience is. That's a brilliant insight. I love that because um, surely in luxury, it's the, it's the one market which needs more than anyone else, the ability to kind of personalize the brand so that my Gucci is not your Gucci. Um, so where is it all going then? Um, is this a good sort of moment to kind of try and project five years in the future? Um, what do we see for luxury campaigns and also the fortunes of luxury brands and audiences? I was going to just add to the point um, around kind of social and, and those various audiences, which kind of also leads into your question, Nikki, um, but from quite a singular lens. Um, what we're seeing, you know, Verb is a, a full service digital marketing agency. So we've got the kind of brand lens with the with social and influencer and, and content, but we also very much do a lot of performance marketing. Um, and actually one thing that we're seeing in terms of that customer and that customer journey is actually social search is becoming a real thing amongst those consumers. So it's not just as as Paul was saying about those traditional mediums. But it's about actually how can you have a holistic uh, view of your your digital marketing, because actually that consumer is starting to search through social to understand more about the brand um, and and more about the product. Um, and actually, I think to to your question, Nikki, in terms of where's it all going, or or, or what's a key takeout for potential marketers listening to this, um, I think a real thing to focus on is about marrying your kind of brand marketing and your performance marketing, and making sure that they're speaking um, speaking. Because actually, I think digital journeys and even offline journeys are becoming ever more integrated. So it's how can you um, keep that front of mind when you're building your kind of marketing activations. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd I'd um, add to that. I think in the next few years, we'll, we'll continue seeing um, luxury brands more and more leaning on these social media first um, strategies, I think, with particularly with creators. Um, I think we'll see more and more creator partnerships already. We're seeing the likes of, you know, Francis Bourgeois, the train spotter on TikTok him. is basically... He's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so him, there's, you know... Emma Chamberlain is one of the is Cartier's ambassador. I think we'll start to see that a lot more as they as they try and reach Gen Z because ultimately creators are um, Gen Z celebrities more than you know it's sometimes more than actual what millennials or boomers would have considered celebrities. Um, so I think we'll we'll definitely see that creator first approach. Um, I think that it'll be interesting to see whether. There is this trend for brands being more inviting people in, um, you know, showing behind the scenes on their social channels and um, having more of a kind of uh, playful tone of voice. But I do also wonder whether there will start to be a shift where actually brands, luxury brands have maybe made themselves too accessible in a, in a strange way where they might want to reclaim some of that exclusivity. So um, you know, I think I read like Louis Vuitton, one of their bags is 
now considered a bit basic because so many people have it and are posting about it on TikTok. And I think the same with Cartier, a certain Cartier bracelet. So Louis Vuitton have actually stopped producing the bag or, and you know, to create that sense of, um, that it's, it's not, it's rare, that sense of rarity. So I think we'll, as the social channels grow and they have to be on them, they'll find new ways to capture these audiences' attention, but um, we may see them start to slightly retreat a little bit more again as they decide to become a bit, create that allure of mystique as well that they they used to have, the luxury brands. Um, but yeah, I think it will be really interesting to see how that continues over the next few years. Um, and obviously, you know, we're an influence marketing agency, we're a social media agency. So I would say this, but I think that's ultimately where, where the spend is going to start to go more towards those channels. That's a really interesting insight. I mean, history repeating itself that, you know, Gucci famously in the eighties kind of overdid it and then retreated. Um, so it's really interesting to hit, to think about this current situation as um, a sort of broader version of that. I also agree in terms of social is going to be the biggest platform. I, I, I'm with you, Joe. Like, I think if we look at um, how China in particular is leading the way from a digital lens, if we can say that, because, you know, they went through their pandemic years before we went through ours and we have started adopting similar behaviours and um, social is just you know, the way that 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 kind of uh, market communicates. And I think that is just becoming more and more of a thing in Western cultures and Western societies. So I totally agree with you, Joe. I think social is going to be where it is at. And Paul? This is where I need to fight the, fight the corner. Of, of Come the on then, world. Paul, what's happening? <laughs> um, now, do you know what? I, I don't. I, I don't disagree with Joe and Sarah because I, I think the future is additive. It's not either or, and I think that we're not going to get any less social in terms of platforms. That we're, we're now looking at marketing to, you know, certainly the, the you know the Gen Z and, and increasingly Gen Alpha that have only ever grown up with the iPhone and variations thereof. Networked thinking. It is the standard operating system for an entire generation or two. And so they don't think either or. They think and. Brands need to think and, but not just do everything because they can. What they need to do is understand why they should play in this space and how the most credible and authentic way to join the dots of this network thinking to be the best version of themselves that those those uh, consumers want because we are in hard times politically economically and in many other ways and you know we have you know like i said in the, in the luxury focus report we have data that backs up this idea that, that consumers will use the resource they have their time to go to experiences or to contribute to campaigns and, and chip in with creation of content and sharing of content before they part with the hard-earned cash. The journey towards the purchase moment may have changed, but we need to figure out a way with brands and for brands how they can navigate that journey in a way that reflects how the world now works. Brilliant. Well, I think that wraps everything up rather nicely. It's as much about the experience. It's all about being authentic, but where the values fit, luxury can transcend sort of its niche, whether that be through social or whether it's experiential 
all of the above because the audiences are in all of those places. Thank you so much, my brilliant guests, for helping us get to the bottom of what's going on in luxury in a cost of living crisis today. I uh, hope you have enjoyed this podcast. Do listen again. Thank you.